No Sweat podcasts are brought to you by the International Hyperhidrosis Society and made possible through generous donations from people like you. Hi, I'm Lisa J. Pioretti, and welcome to the No Sweat Podcast, where we share uncensored, unscripted conversations about hyperhidrosis, which is excessive sweating. With hyperhidrosis affecting nearly 5% of the population, we know that there are a lot of people out there who can relate to what you're about to hear. But we also know that the medical condition of extreme, uncontrollable sweating remains misunderstood, underdiagnosed, undertreated, and generally underserved. So we'd love it if you'd share this program with your tribe far and wide. Let's discuss hyperhidrosis in depth and get this condition out in the open. Like what you're hearing? Find out more about the International Hyperhidrosis Society and about hyperhidrosis at sweathelp.org. We're the only global nonprofit focused entirely on excessive sweating and all the things that swirl around it, like mental health concerns, economic challenges, functional impairment, limited access to treatments, misunderstanding in the medical field, and so much more. We're sure that some of these issues will come up with our guests today. Welcome, Dr. David Pariser and Dr. Deanna Glazer. Glad to be here. Thanks, Lisa. Dr. Glazer is president and founding member of the International Hyperhidrosis Society, as well as professor and chairman with the Department of Dermatology at the St. Louis University School of Medicine. Dr. Pariser is secretary and founding member of the International Hyperhidrosis Society, a former president of the American Academy of Dermatology, and professor with the Department of Dermatology at Eastern Virginia Medical School. Both are highly involved with hyperhidrosis research, treatment, and development, and healthcare provider training. We're so excited to have these two hyperhidrosis experts in our studio today. We'll discuss the doctor-patient partnership in tackling excessive sweating, where we've come from, and where we're going. Welcome, friends. Good to be here. Thanks for having us. Both of you have been involved with the International Hyperhidrosis Society since day one, way back in 2003, when we founded the International Hyperhidrosis Society. Over the years, you've treated thousands of excessive sweating patients. Is there a particular patient you remember who really brought home to you the serious impact of this condition? Dr. Glazer? There are so many, but I think one in particular was um, a family that uh, enrolled in a study of mine. There were the dad and two sons, one who was in college and one who was in high school. And um, I was doing some investigation on botulinum toxins for Palmer uh, hyperhidrosis. And all three of them were getting treated, but with different doses and things. But what was interesting was the, the youngest, the high school student, had never gone to dance, had never held hands, never gone on a date. And after he got his injections and his hands were dry, and he came back with his older brother and his dad, and they were harassing him and joking with him and saying, tell Dr. Glazer, tell Dr. Glazer, tell Dr. Glazer. And they had found him sitting on the front porch holding a girl's hand. And that just really made me realize how important that social development is during those prime adolescent years. And when you don't have that because of a condition like excessive sweating, 
that it really can have a big impact that lasts longer throughout your whole life. So that was one of mine. David, how about you? Well, one of my very early patients that really got me hooked on treatment people with hyperhidrosis was a um, high school teacher. And she was um, had a couple problems. First was, uh, this was in the days of chalkboards, where her sweaty hands would uh, dissolve the chalk uh, over a period of time, and she would have to constantly be using new pieces of chalk. But what was really the problem with her is that she had sweat rings developing under her arms, and she found out that her students were taking bets about how long would it take the sweat ring to reach down to her waist. And when she found out that they were doing that, and this was this was an unbelievably traumatic experience for her, um, and she almost decided to quit teaching because of it. But after uh, uh, after treatment, uh, axillary hyperhidrosis, underarm treatment with the with the medicines available at the time, which was Botox injections, uh, she was uh, able actually move to a new school and was able to resume her teaching career. Dr. Pariser, more and more is coming out about the impacts of hyperhidrosis on patients' lives and mental wellness. Why do you think that excessive sweating can so seriously affect a person's life and emotional health? Well, I think there's a lot of uh, misunderstandings uh, and emotional stigma about hyperhidrosis. Um, people who view others as sweating excessively and they may think that they are un unclean or that they're overweight or they're out of shape or something like that and not really understanding that it's a medical condition. And that engenders uh, anxiety and depression, uh, lack of self-esteem among, among the, uh, the person who has it. And, and I think that those kinds of uh, factors make somebody kind of go into a shell. They, they withdraw from society uh, because they don't want to have the embarrassment, the social stigma of uh, people assuming something about them, which is not true. They have a medical condition, and, and that's that's all it is. And it, it, but it, there's so much psychosocial overlay that uh, that overwhelms the medical problem sometimes. I just want to add that I think some of my patients have explained to me that it's the unpredictability of it that is so debilitating. If they just knew when it was going to occur. Um, they could avoid those situations, but because they just don't know when it will hit and how severe, that that really ramps up the um, anxiety and um, sort of the depression of all the things that they know that they're missing. And actually, let me add on to that. When somebody has a uh, successful treatment outcome and knows that, ah, so now finally I can control this and it's not controlling me they may actually not even want to treat it all the time. They may want to treat it when they need to control it. And uh, that, I think that sense of empowerment that uh, is extremely important. The disease has been controlling their life, and now if they know that they have ability to control their disease, there's an emotional awakening. Hi, this is Marilyn, and I'm with the International Hyperhidrosis Society. I have hyperhidrosis and have had it for as long as I can remember. Jumping on your note, Dr. Pariser, I think that being here in D.C. this week, we all knew it was going to be a busy week, and those busy weeks can make it really hard to amp up your treatment. But was, was I worried about that this week? Not necessarily, because I knew I was going to be around people who understood the condition and who really knew that my sweating 
was a medical condition and treated me as a person with hyperhidrosis, not as a sweaty person or a gross person. And having that control really is empowering. I can definitely speak to that. Dr. Pariser and Dr. Glazer both, this is a question for the two of you. We know that patients who are in the know seek you both out. What's the farthest a patient has traveled in order to see you for their hyperhidrosis treatment? Well, I live about a three-hour drive from Washington, D.C., and often get patients from, from that far away. Um, the farthest that I've ever had a patient actually came from the West Coast who uh, found me on the International Hyperhidrosis website, sweathelp.org. Uh, I conversed with him via uh, email for a number of times, and he said, look, I'm just going to come over there, and he did. That was the farthest patient that ever saw me farthest away. Yeah, so, you know, it speaks to how difficult it is for people to get reliable uh, help. I've had patients from throughout the U.S., but also from England, France, and um, Dubai, um, who have come to see me specifically for their excessive sweating. So it it really is. I mean, it, this is a global problem, and um, there is a paucity of uh, physicians who really understand and know how to treat this well. And this really speaks to an important point, and that is that healthcare providers in general are not as aware of this condition as they should be. Given the number of people that are out there with this problem, the number that could be helped with fairly simple and easy treatments, uh, people just, uh, healthcare providers just don't take this seriously. And we, we have trouble with patients who understand more about the disease than their healthcare providers do, and who get, frankly, blown away, or blown off by their provider who doesn't treat the problem seriously. What do you think a patient should do if they're trying to talk to their provider and they have been dismissed? How do you encourage them to keep trying? Go somewhere else. Go on the website of the IHHS, look for the physician finder, find somebody who has been trained by the IHHS or at least has indicated their their interest in treating it. Call their office on the phone. Ask if they have the treatments available that are are, uh, easily learned on the IHHS website. And... uh, Make your selection that way. If you know somebody else who has hyperhidrosis, who's had a successful outcome with a visit with a a provider, then that's another way. Dr. Glazer and Dr. Paris are both. What if you notice a patient sweating, but he or she doesn't bring it up? They're in your office talking about something else completely. Do you have techniques to help patients to open up about their symptoms that you could share so that other clinicians could do it as well? Oftentimes I'll see someone's hands, you know, they're wringing wet. They frequently are wiping it on their their pants or the gown maybe that they're in or that it's dripping down their chest wall. And and I just will say something like, you know, it seems like you're sweating quite a bit today. Uh, if I'm just making you nervous and this isn't a big deal, that's fine. But if you'd like to talk about it, I'm happy to address your sweating concerns as well. Um, you know, you just want to make it open, non-judgmental. Just, uh, uh, you know, this is a common thing, and, and we can help you if you want, and if you don't want, that's okay, too. Uh, much the same, uh, same experience. You know, as dermatologists, we do a lot of skin, skin checks for skin cancer. And when you have a patient undressed on the exam table and see excessive sweating running down the chest or the hands or the feet, I will always ask, does it bother you? 
there are also many other simple, similar conditions like that. Does it bother you? Uh, and if, if the patient says no, then I, I'm done. I mean, if, they, if they're not ready to talk about it. We also do have uh, in our office, in, the, in our um, waiting rooms, we have a video loop that runs. And one of the, one of the topics on there is about excessive sweating. And some people will say, oh, I was in your, you know, I'm, I'm here for my skin cancer check, but I noticed on your video that you know, excessive sweating is a real problem. Can we talk about that? And the Hyperhidrosis Society has um, patient education brochures, too, that, that uh, clinicians can, can get from us if they just send a quick email to info at sweathelp.org. So is, do you think that there's something complicated, unusual, or nuanced about hyperhidrosis that can make it harder for it to become accepted among clinicians as a serious concern, warranting serious time and attention? I think some of those barriers are already being broken down. I think as more treatments are becoming available, um, it's always difficult for a physician to, you know, deal with a with a disease uh, when there's ineffective or limited number of treatments. So, with new treatments that have been coming out now, I think it it does help it help us um, address this concern and uh, and really reach out to patients more. You know, that's always true with any kind of new medical treatment. A new medical treatment, and there hasn't been anything new in hyperhidrosis in terms of medical treatment for the last 15 years or so. But when there is something new, it generates more interest. It generates interest among uh, patients. Uh, it generates interest among the healthcare providers. And that's always good. So the more new things that we get, the more awareness there's going to be. Right. And of course, now there is, you know, one new thing. There hadn't been anything for 15 years, but... You know, last year, uh, the FDA approved a topical therapy for, for hyperhidrosis uh, of the axilla, so something that can be used by adults and kids. Well, speaking of kids, children and teens are seriously impacted by hyperhidrosis. How can parents advocate for their children with excessive sweating? Well, I think one of the biggest problems is that many times the children don't tell their parents so kids out there, please, please go and let your parents know what you're suffering with. And I think one of the biggest reasons is that, you know, a lot of times we, we talked about this starts in adolescence, uh, maybe during puberty, uh, and you know, the bodies are changing and they don't know what's normal, what's not normal. Lots of things are happening, but I, I can't tell you how frequently it is that I'll have a, an adolescent and a parent in there and the parent had no idea that their child was sweating, or vice versa, the parent has brought the child in and the child has no idea that the parent has it as well. Um, otherwise, advocating, I think it's the same thing that we talked about with, you know, Marilyn, finding a, finding a different doctor if you're not finding the one that's, that's helping you or assisting you in the way that, that you need. David, I don't know, what do you, what's your advice? Well, very similar, but, you know, unfortunately, some patient, teenagers who are going through the adolescent changes of puberty, and every, which is when hyperhidrosis often starts for axillary areas anyway, they will sometimes go to their parents, and the parents will blow them off. Mm -hmm. And they'll say, oh, this is just normal. Everybody sweats more when you get to puberty. And then they may even go to their pediatrician or their family doctor who says the same thing. And these people, what, so what do these folks do? They... They go into a shell. They go on the internet, and that's where they get their that's where they get their information from. And uh, you know, I don't think it's the kind of thing that you sit around the family dinner table talking about. Uh, I had a mother who brought her child in for for excessive sweating one time, and the child was sitting on the exam teenager sitting on the exam table, and the mother was in the uh, in the chair. And I asked the the teenager, 
does anybody else in your family have sweating? And she said, no. And the mom said, well, honey, you know, I've never told you, but I have it. And the teenager said, mom, why did you, you never told me? You know, this is something we should be sharing. Why didn't you? And the mother sheepishly said, and grandma has it too. Dr. Pariser, Dr. Glazer, you've each been involved with the International Hyperhidrosis Society since the beginning, and you're co-founders of our beloved organization. What have been the biggest changes in the hyperhidrosis world since then? And what are you most proud of in terms of the IHHS's and your role? The IHHS has evolved over the years. What we've really done is we have raised awareness, um, particularly among patients and the general population. We've also uh, raised awareness in the medical community. Uh, you know, we've put on multiple medical education seminars, including hands-on demonstrations of treatments uh, for the for the uh, public. We've produced many types of different media, including online, print, uh, video, uh, media, to try to raise awareness. And I think that's been our major accomplishments. Uh, in both in education of patients, population, and um, healthcare providers. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we have evolved, and we're probably still, I hope, going to continue to evolve. I can't believe it's been 15 years already. Um, and I, I think just getting the word out, as David said, um, both uh, to the patients and to the physicians, and not only demonstrating, but actually we have held hands teaching other physicians how to treat this uh, condition. And then the website that can access so many patients and in so many different languages now. So um, we can reach out to uh, people in you know all parts of the world. And that's really exciting. So I can't wait to see what the next 15 years is going to bring. What is the most thought-provoking or groundbreaking research you've been involved in recently, either together or separately? Well, uh, the last few years, there's been a lot of uh, research going on. Um, certainly, you know, the new topical um, glycopyronium cloth is a game changer. It's the first FDA-approved treatment uh, for both children and adults with axillary hyperhidrosis. And this is the first time anything's been studied and approved in kids, so that's groundbreaking. Um, when you look back at Botox, you know, and that was many years ago, but that was really the very first and incredibly effective treatment that we had. So that was groundbreaking. Um, this year, um, I've done a couple of uh, smaller product uh, projects with some students, and just looking at how prevalent anxiety and depression is, and. And it's, it's mind-boggling, and it needs further investigation. Um, I just finished a, a project with another student looking at the gravimetrics, right? How much sweat can one person produce, and does that at all correlate with how severe the disease is? And it doesn't seem to. And so it's, I, I think we're learning more and more, but we have still so much to learn. I don't know. David, what are some of your highlights? So I, I know you and I have both worked yep. on the development of, of the currently approved product, the glycopyronium cloth. And as you said, it, it was a was and is a game changer and, and really should be a treatment tried by almost everyone, uh, even if they're on some other treatment. Uh, but there are some other exciting things in the pipeline uh, beyond that. And it'll be a couple years before we get there. But there'll be other topicals. There'll be other devices. There'll be uh, systemic agents, oral pills. 
that may be uh, effective too. And you know, when we're trying to paint this picture of hyperhidrosis, the more colors we have on our palette, the better we're, we're going to be able to help patients. So I'm looking forward to the next few years, but right now we, we are in a good spot. Yeah, it's nice to be able to have options so that we can really individualize treatment plans for each person because everyone's different. Their sweat's different and their bodies are different. So it's nice to have different things to put together. And actually, Deanna, let me pick up on one of the comments you made about the amount of sweating and the lack of correlation to how much quality of life impact there is. Um, you know, there's some people who sweat buckets and it just doesn't bother them as much. And others who sweat more than they should, but not tremendously more. And they're emotionally shattered by it. So this, this gravimetric testing or so-called measurement of sweat, which we all have to do for clinical research and for, for uh, approval of new agents, uh, is really not a good metric, not a good measure of how severe the condition is. Uh, this is a quality of life issue, and that really is the primary measure that we should be using to evaluate new products, new drugs, new devices, new treatments, and how we're doing as providers. As a patient, I think something I'm always wondering is what's what what needs to be done and i'm wondering what you think should be researched further well it would be nice to find the cause of hyperhidrosis um, and that may be easy much easier well it is much more easily said than done because there's probably many factors that go into it i mean there's genetic reasons there's neurological reason um, there are psychosocial reasons and, you know, sometimes with the excessive sweating and the psychological problems, which is the chicken, which is the egg? Uh, and so we really do need to define that better. Uh, I would like some neuroscientists to get involved in the uh, uh, research of the, of the cause of, of hyperhidrosis. Well, dream we, big. We, we, yeah, we, we, all, we always dream big. And, you know, when you think about it, in all of medicine, there are not a whole lot of things that we really cure. I mean, we cure infections that we give antibiotics for. We cure things that we can fix surgically. But we're, uh, we're still on the launch pad. And finally, we've been asking our guests to create hyperhidrosis haikus. As a reminder, a haiku is a verse in three lines. Line one has five syllables. Line two has seven syllables. And line three has five syllables. Can you tell us your hyperhidrosis haiku? This is David Pariser. My hyperhidrosis haiku. Sweating can be good in the gym, garden, and more. Too much is not good. All right, this is Deanna Glazer, and this is my hyperhidrosis haiku. Unpredictable. Never knowing where, when, why. So unrelenting. Thank you, Dr. Pariser and Dr. Glazer, for sharing your hyperhidrosis perspectives. And thank you to all our listeners for joining us. Conversations like these help us all to better understand hyperhidrosis and its impacts and to move the needle forward when it comes to diagnosis, treatment, and holistic care. What's your hyperhidrosis perspective? We hope you can share something about hyperhidrosis with someone in your life today. Keep it simple, share this program, like it or rate it on iTunes or wherever you're listening today. Help more people find us and find out more about the information and support available for those living with excessive sweating at sweathelp.org, the website of the International Hyperhidrosis Society. The International Hyperhidrosis Society is the only registered charity focused entirely on hyperhidrosis. 
Visit sweathelp.org donate to continue supporting programs that teach, empower, and serve. Our No Sweat podcasts are championed by Lisa J. Peretti and recorded live at Full Service Radio in Washington, D.C. We are so grateful for Jack Inslee's artistic production, Angela Ballard's editorial guidance, Marilyn Perez's project management, Christine Fleckenstein's attention to every detail, and Albert Ganz's design and illustration. Thank you to our guests and listeners who join the conversation.